Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. For more info on service times and locations, you can find us at newlifefoursquare.org. In this episode, Pastor Ken Santos covers 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for our new series, Love Chapters, with a dynamic message on the importance of everything we do to be done out of agape love. So if, if you, you guys know that you are in a very loving church, yes, with loving pastors. Now, are our pastors perfect? No, we're not perfect. Uh, we are perfectly normal people just like you. Uh, we struggle just like you. We struggle to love uh, sometimes just like you. Um, we get frustrated. We leak our frustration, and it might come off as unloving. Um, there are times when we have to deal with EGR people. You guys know what EGR people are? It's Christianese. EGR is extra grace required. Um, these are people who um, really make us pray more. We, we, we have to pray that God would give us supernatural love for these kinds of people. Uh, because they're very hard to love. They're emotionally draining people. They demand to be the center of attention. Um, even um, when the pastor just doesn't meet their expectations of care and time and concern, you know, they let everyone else know about it. They're like, man, I, I don't think pastor really loves me because he didn't go to my birthday party, right? Or I, I posted a picture with pastor and, and, and I, I tagged him on Facebook and he never even liked it. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, that's hypo- this is hypothetical, right? Um, n- that's not you guys. Unless it is. I don't know. If God's revealing something to you right now, um, just, you know, if you're that EGR person, just admit it, right? But some of us pastors, we are EGR too. We're, we require extra grace sometimes. And uh, Pastor Mike, I- I'm just going to go for it because he's not here. Um <laughs> You know, every time the Green Bay Packers lose, and that's kind of often every year, right? Uh, you have to understand that, that he needs a lot of extra grace whenever that happens, right? You got to give him a hug. Man, I gave him a big hug when they lost uh, last month. Um, and, and the same goes, you know, the Lakers have to win the championship this year. If not... Me and Pastor Ken and a bunch of you guys are going to be super bummed, um, and we're going to be irritable, and we're going to be, you know, EGR kind of people. So if we ever come across to you guys as unloving, just forgive us. Know that we also are perfectly normal human beings just like you, and we need to learn how to lead out of love. We need to learn how to be more loving pastors and leaders, and so the message that we're into in today is going to address those of us who are in some sort of leadership role, uh, volunteer role, serving role, um, and we're in this series called Love Chapters, and we're in this really famous love chapter called 1 Corinthians 13. So you can turn your scriptures there. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, you, where do we hear this passage uh, read aloud most of the time? At weddings, yeah, or on Valentine's Day. Like all the cards you get might have some kind of verse from 1 Corinthians 13. Even the non-religious kind of uh, occasions uh, use this, this uh, love chapter. And it's regarded as Apostle Paul's um, exposition on the qualities and characteristics of agape 
love. So I want to read this from the Passion Translation. I'm loving this translation lately. Uh, but then we're going to break it down, look at it in the uh, NIV. Uh, so let's read this. Um, read along with me. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and, if, and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possess unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains but never have never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I owned to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love doesn't brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing in the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It is more enduring than tongues, which one day will fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. Our present knowledge and our pr prophecies are but partial, but when love's perfection arrives, the partial will fade away. When I was a child, I spoke about childish matters, for I saw things like a child and reasoned like a child. But the day came when I matured and I set aside my childish ways. For now, we see but a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries as though reflected in a mirror. But one day we will see face to face. My understanding is incomplete now, but one day I will understand everything just as everything about me has been fully understood. Until then, there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. Yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let love be the prize for which you run. May the Lord bless the reading of his glorious word. This is the love chapter. When you read this chapter, it feels so lofty, right? It seems that Paul sets the bar really high when it comes to this idea of agape love. Love is more than eros. Eros is the word for love, which describes a sensual, romantic love. Love is more than phileo, which is the word for love used to describe friendship, brotherly love. Love is more than storge, which is another word for love, which is used for a familial kind of love. This chapter describes agape love, which is, a, we, we, we know it as a Christian term of love, a love that is from God. And the reason we know it that way is because of chapters like this and the other ones we've been studying in the past few weeks. Agape love has all of these qualities that God has. That's why we're looking at all these love chapters, to, 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 to know how to be better at loving like God loves us. What does Christian love look like? 
We can only love the way that Scripture tells us to love because of the way God loves us. So when we read these verses, when we, when we read a list like that in 1 Corinthians 13, is it really possible for us to live up to these attributes of love? And, and apart from God, no, it's, it's impossible. It is impossible, but with Christ, we can. So if I want to start applying 1 Corinthians 13... I need to apply it to every relationship that I'm in. Some of you are, some people are like, oh, this is just for marriage. No, it's more than just for uh, married people and weddings. Because Paul, when he writes this chapter, he's not writing in the context of marriage. He's not addressing married couples. That's later on. He's addressing the church. So we need to put this... Um, chapter in its proper context, it's wedged between chapters 12 and 14, chapters that talk about spiritual gifts. And so when we put it in its context, we'll understand that this lofty virtue that we call agape love is something that applies to every single believer. Everyone who relates to someone in every situation, in every relationship, especially the ones that happen in the church, in the body of Christ. And everything Paul describes here in this chapter, it, it relates to something that the, the, the Corinthian church was really dealing with. These are real situations. People were calling themselves Christians. They were like, look at me, I'm a Christian. I act like a Christian. I speak Christianese, right? <laughs> they were exercising their spiritual gifts in front of everyone. They were like, look, the Holy Spirit has given me all these spiritual gifts. And yet they were doing so in an unloving manner. And so he spends this whole chapter in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm just going to paraphrase it. He says to the Corinthian church, you're all one body. The Spirit gives to each and every one of you a gift. However he distributes these gifts are up to him. But you have to use them together. You have to use your gifts for the common good. You can't say to someone else, I don't need you. You're not important. Your gift doesn't matter. God placed a diversity of gifts in each of his people in the body of Christ so that they can work together for the common good, so that they could have equal concern for one another. All of these gifts should unite them and not divide. And then he tells them at the end of chapter 12, Now, let me show you a superior way to live that's beyond comparison. This Corinthian church was very EGR. There's so much drama in this church. It's too much drama that, that any of us pastors would have quit um, being a pastor of that church. I think I would have quit. Um, it was a, listen, it was a spiritually gifted church, and yet they were very carnal. They were immature. Imagine that. Look at, I want to show you some of the words Paul writes to this church in Corinth. He says in, in, in chapter 1, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So they had the spiritual gifts. But then he says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. They're fighting. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still world, worldly, mere infants in Christ. Chapter 4, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Some of you have become arrogant 
as if I were not coming to you. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with the rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Chapter 5, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Sick. And you are proud. Chapter 6, instead one brother takes another to court and this in front of unbelievers. The fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? But instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your own brothers and sisters. Chapter 8, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. He was talking there about um, eating food that was sacrificed to idols. They were forcing other people, hey, you know, I, I know better now that I'm a Christian. You can eat this food, even though it's sacrificed to idols. And, and those folks that were weaker, they didn't understand. They, it was violating their conscience. They were like, I shouldn't be eating this, but now you're telling me I have to eat this. Chapter 10, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Chapter 11, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear, when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. We don't have a church like that, right? Praise God. But there are churches that have so much drama. They're gifted. They're spiritually, um, it looks like they're Christian. And yet, deep down inside, they're lacking. They're lacking something. So Paul writes these strong words in his letter to the Corinthian church. People were spiritually gifted, but they were infants. They had an inflated, bloated view of their own spiritual gifts. They thought their gifts were a sign of higher maturity. They thought that those with the miraculous gifts... Um, were more spiritually superior than those who didn't have those kinds of gifts. They're exploiting their gifts to the detriment of other brothers and sisters. They're using their gifts as means of power, to gain power, influence, and prestige. And this is why Paul writes the love chapter. Because in the church's quest to exercise and operate in the best spiritual gifts, oh, I, I, want, I want to be the best, the most gifted, spiritually gifted person in this church. Paul points out that there's something that's more supreme, more superior, a better way to live in Christian community, and it is with love. Love is not a spiritual gift. It's a way of life. It permeates the expression and the exercise of every spiritual gift. Don't get me wrong. Spiritual gifts are amazing. We love when people operate in the gifts of the Spirit. They're important. They're good for the body of Christ. We need to desire them and use them. But if they are detached from love, Paul says they are utterly worthless. And so you'll see in this chapter, he breaks down the importance of love. He shows us in the first three verses the preeminence of love, the superiority of love. The second section, he describes the principles of love. And finally, he speaks about the permanence of love. 
So we'll look at mostly the first two, um, and we'll just see what he says about love. Without love, I offend others. Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, back in those days, that, that word for resounding gong, you guys might think of the gong show and boing, right? Maybe, but they would use this brass cylinder to amplify sound. It's kind of like the microphone I have, the speakers that are hanging on the ceiling. It's amplifying, it's broadcasting the, my voice, my words. It gives it volume, it gives it weight. So the Corinthian church, they are enamored with this gift called tongues, speaking in tongues. They think, oh, I got this heavenly language. And they start competing against each other. No, look what I can say, look what I can say, right? It made them feel like they were spiritual. And so you have a bunch of folks in the church trying to utter different languages just to show off their spirituality and it would end up just being a whole bunch of noise. And that's why in chapter 14 Paul gives instructions on how to use these types of gifts. Because when done right they can be a beautiful sign that the Lord is doing something and unbelievers will see it and say, oh, God is in that, that place. But when it's done without love, it's offensive. It's just noise. I was at a service one time in the Philippines back when I got married and I was staying there for a while. And they had this missionary, a young missionary, um, preaching that day. And I, he, was a, he was a student. I could tell he was um, a novice. Um, but he, he said something that bothered me. He said something to the effect of, you know what, if you don't speak in tongues like I do, you need to question your Christianity. You need to question if you're, that you're really saved. Uh, just the way he said it, I know he probably didn't mean it the way he said it, um, but it's like he was guilt-tripping people into speaking in tongues. Look, speaking in tongues is great. It's important we do it. If you have that gift, use it. But don't abuse it. And don't use it to somehow prove that you are a Christian while telling someone else who doesn't have or operate in that gift that they are less than a Christian. Right? Without love, you're just making a whole bunch of noise when you're speaking in tongues. Secondly, without love, Paul says, I am nothing if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Imagine being a prophet or having a prophetic gift. You're, you're known to have insights. You have knowledge. You're operating as a mouthpiece for God. People are drawn to you. People listen to every word that you say. They retweet everything that you tweet, right? Or maybe you have this faith. Like, oh, man, sister, every time she prays for me, people get, I, I get healed. So we got to go to that person all the time. She's the only one that can pray for us so that healing can happen, right? That person gets, you know, they have influence. They, they have importance. People are impressed by the way that she prays. And yet, Paul says, without love, 
I am nothing. If there is no love, your ministry, your leadership has no real value. If there is no love, you may have a lot of followers, you may have a lot of success, you may become admired, appreciated and applauded, but as far as God and eternity are concerned, you're nothing. You're nothing without love. Thirdly, if I don't have love, without love I gain nothing. See, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. These are two extreme forms of sacrifice here. We know that Christian love is sacrificial, yes? But have you ever thought about it? Is it possible to sacrifice without love? At first glance, you see someone who sells all they have and gives it to the poor. Man, that person is acting the closest they can ever act in a loving way. Or in another extreme, someone gives his own body to be punished or tormented for the sake of someone else. The NIV says, if I give my body over to hardship that I may boast. And that's a key thing there. If, if you sacrifice your possessions, if you sacrifice your body, only to get labeled as the hero, only for your own personal gain, only so that you can get the credit. Paul says, you don't gain anything doing it that way. So some people in Corinth, they might have had the gift of helps. They might have had the gift of mercy. They might have had the gift of generosity. These are gifts that are spoken about in, in Scripture. And so they might have been going around saying, man, I, I just want to serve because I have this gift. Hey, make sure you, you, you notice that I have this gift, right? Notice how well I prepared the table for everyone. Notice how well I decorated the church, right? If you're trying to do all these things, if you're operating in your spiritual gifts just to get the accolades, just to get the recognition, you gain nothing. Love is preeminent. Love is superior to any gift that you could ever operate in. And when love is absent, no matter how spiritually gifted you are, no matter how sacrificial you are, no matter how generous you are, you could be the world's greatest philanthropist, but without love, it amounts to nothing. So what is love? Paul gives us 15 characteristics of genuine love. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot. Love is patient. Think about this. If you put Jesus, God is love, right? Put Jesus' name there. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus doesn't envy. Jesus doesn't boast. And if we live in Christ, that's the only way we can um, live up to these attributes of love. Love is patient. Start there. The word is long-suffering. It's more than just um, saying, all right, love is patient. So, honey, um, I'm going to wait here at the mall for two hours. And you do your shopping. I'm going to be patient. Because that's really love. No, it's bigger than that. Okay? It's bigger than this, this idea of being, oh, yeah, he's a patient person because he, you know, he's just quiet and he just stays there. And, right? No. Love is patient in difficult relationships. Love is patient even 
when you get mistreated, abuse is one thing, but you know, mistreatment, you're, you're being treated unfairly. Love is incredibly patient. When it comes to spiritual gifts, maybe Paul is, is calling on us to be patient when someone is operating in a gift and, and it's just ticking them off. It's like, oh, stop it already. We've got to be patient with this person, this EGR person, right? They might be annoying. They might be causing us some inconvenience. Um, but we've got to be patient. But pastor, how long do we have to be patient with them, right? A year? Longer? Well, are you going to church discipline them or anything? That's another sermon, right? But yeah, love is patient. Imagine how patient Christ is with us. I was thinking about that. If, if Jesus was impatient with us, oh man. If God was like the Greek god Zeus, who just hurled thunderbolts at, you know, lightning bolts at people every time they messed up, you know, we'd all be fried. Love is patient and love is kind. Kindness is what? It's patience in action. You ever tried to be patient, but then on the outside you're kind of mean? Um, oh, man. This is when your unspiritual gifts come, come out. Um, you guys know what an unspiritual gift is? Okay. My biggest unspiritual gift is sarcasm. Right? Anyone have that unspiritual gift? Sarcasm? Yeah. Uh, no. How about criticism? Criticism? It's a big unspiritual gift. Uh, condemnation, right? Oh man, I'm gonna be patient here, but man, you're going, you're gonna fry for that, man. <laughs> I hope something. You, I hope you get what you deserve, man. I'm just gonna. That's condemnation, right? I love, I love how Pastor Mike tells you guys to tell each other, stop it, right? <laughs> I listen to like, stop it. Tell someone, stop it, right? Don't be sarcastic. Don't be condemning. Don't be criticizing. Right? Love doesn't envy. Again, it's a problem in Corinth. People are like, oh man, I, I don't have the spiritual gift of leading worship. They must be more blessed. They must be more loved than I am. Pastor doesn't let me lead worship. Right? I must not be as loved as Genesis. Right? <laughs> Sorry, I'm losing my voice. <coughs> Excuse me. Folks with lesser gifts were becoming jealous of those with greater gifts. People, people in the church, oh man, they're so blessed. I'm not as blessed as they are. That's envy, folks. They're comparing. And, and, and com love doesn't make comparisons. Love rejoices, actually, when someone gets the blessing, when someone operates in their spiritual gifts. Man, you are using your spiritual gifts for the glory of God. I love it. I'm not envious. On the flip side, love doesn't boast. So those who had the greater gifts were saying, look at me. I am more spiritual than you because you don't do anything. Right? They were flaunting it. My gift is better than yours. I'm more spiritual than you. I speak better tongues than you. God loves me more than you. Boasting just makes people resentful. It creates unloving atmospheres. Right? It 
doesn't foster unity in the body of Christ. All right, let's be the love isn't proud, right? Leaders and volunteers, be careful that when you serve, when you do what God has enabled you to do, when you do what the, the what you when you operate in the giftings of the Holy Spirit, you know, don't let it get to your head. Don't draw attention to yourselves. You know, I mentioned earlier that that when I said, you know, I'm not at if I'm not at Norwalk, they start freaking out. Like. That's not true. That's a prideful way of thinking, and I should never think like that. Because there, you know, God has enabled so many in the body of Christ to do, um, to operate in their spiritual gifts, to do what God has called them to do. And it's not just about me, Pastor Ken, or our worship leader. So when any of us is not there, you know, it's not going to fall apart. It's not going to go to pieces. The body of Christ is going to operate in the giftings that they were given so that God gets the glory when everyone starts working together. Amen? Amen. Alright. Love doesn't dishonor others. Now, uh, another translation says, love is not rude. And this is more than just having good manners um, and treating people with respect. That's important. We ought to say, you know, ate and kuya and, you know, all that good stuff when referring to our elders. Um, but Paul was probably referring to the, the dishonor that was happening in the church when in chapter 5, remember he said, you know, someone is sleeping with their father's wife. And the church wasn't doing anything about it. How dishonoring is that? You know, it's an extreme case of dishonor. And it would, would be so unloving for the church to just let that kind of behavior keep on happening. So love isn't self-seeking. Again, using your spiritual gifts for personal gain and attention. Love isn't easily angered. This could be translated as touchy, irritable, or overly sensitive. Anybody here like that? No? It means you have a sharp edge. If someone says something to you, you take it so personally. You're, you're, you get so hung up over these minor things. People don't want to be around people like that, right? Because they're so sensitive. Maybe you're a perfectionist and you criticize every little thing that doesn't fit your standard. You're like, oh, why do you do it that way? You know, it makes people hard. It makes it hard for people to love you when you are easily angered, when you're overly insensitive. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You keep score, you bring it up later. You're like, man, you're never going to change. What you did three years ago, remember, you bring it up every time someone messes up. Right? Don't do that. We have to give room for God to change someone and allow them to get restored back to the ministry, to get restored back into good graces, right? We have to love them back to Christ, right? Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. A loving church celebrates the good, the truth, people who are honest, people who are open, people who are being real with each other. It doesn't delight in evil. It doesn't rub it in when someone fails. Sometimes people are like, ha, see? You haven't been going to church a while. That's why your, your life's so messed up, right? <laughs> Oh, you don't live a holy lifestyle like me. I wonder you have so many problems. Oh, man. How loving is that? Why would you delight in someone else's, you know, pain? And, and, and even if they're messed up, even if they're not living the right way, don't gloat over it. Don't say, that's because you're not spiritual like me. Right? Don't delight in that. Bring them back. 
love them back to Christ. Love always protects. It creates a safe environment. That's why we as a church, when you come in this place, we want to be a place where love creates this safe environment for you. You're not going to get condemned here. You're not going to get threatened here. You're not going to point out all your deficiencies and shortcomings. Love always trusts. It looks for the best in people. It doesn't lose faith. It gives people the benefit of the doubt. It's not suspicious of everyone like, oh, I don't know about this person. I don't trust them all the time. No. It allows for a healthy conflict. Love always hopes. Hopes for the best. Hopes in Christ. Gives someone a second chance. Third chance. Fifth chance. Let God do the work of restoration. And then love always perseveres. Loving, a loving church never gives up. Hardship and pain doesn't stop love. We continue to trust God in the, mid, the middle of storms and setbacks. So these are all the principles of love that, that, that Paul gives to the church. Man, if, if we just try to operate in these principles, our life here as a church, our relationships would be so much better, right? So we just got to check ourselves. Am I being patient today? Am I being kind? Am I puffing myself up, right? Is there some way that I'm acting that's unloving? God, help me, change me, right? And then finally, Paul, I won't spend too much time on this, but in the last section, it's the permanence of love, the endurance, the eternal quality of love. Love never fails. The Passion Translation says, love never stops loving. Love that. Love never stops loving. Every other spiritual gift is going to come to an end. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge, healing. But not love. Love is eternal. And that's why it's superior to all the other gifts. That's why the expression of the gifts in the absence of love is useless, worthless. Now, Christians for decades and centuries have, have argued about this part of 1 Corinthians 13. Um, they've argued about whether the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased already. I'll just tell you where Foursquare stands. No, they have not ceased Every gift of the Spirit that is mentioned in Scripture and others that aren't even mentioned in Scripture, um, as long as the Holy Spirit determines to give it to you, it's accessible. It's there. You can have, you can speak in tongues. You can prophesy. You can be a, a, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist. You can have the gift of knowledge and service and healing and, and mercy and generosity. If it's in the scripture, it's available to us. And Paul says, you've got to desire it. Desire the greater gifts. <coughs> but use it to build up the church. Use it so that God gets the glory. Use it. It's going to be temporary. It's only for the time that we're here on earth. But use it with love. Use it with love. And it will be used for its intended purpose. See, we're supposed to pursue 
Faith, hope, and love as Christians. The Bible doesn't say pursue miracles, prophecies, and, 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 and tongues. The Bible says pursue faith, hope, and love. These three. And the greatest of these is love. So, it's... it's I'm going to conclude. As a church, as leaders, as parents, volunteers, students, whatever you are, wherever you find yourself influencing other people, what is your motive? What is our motive when we serve, when we do the things that God wants us to do? Is it to gain attention, to get glory, to get the accolades, the praise? That's the opposite of love. Let love be the motivation behind everything you do. That's how Paul ends his letter. And with this we close. Let love and kindness be the motivation behind all that you do. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Would you stand with me? And I just want to pray that, that we as a Christian community here, worship team, you can come up, um, but that we as a Christian community would always keep this in, our, in, in front of us. Like, am I doing this out of love? Right? There's a couple who woke up one morning and the wife was telling her husband, hey, you, you got to get up. We're, we got to go to church today. And the husband's like, man, I don't know if I ever want to go to that church again. Um, they're, they're critical. They're, they're, they're always, there's always issues. There's always drama. You know, they're always talking about each other. There's always gossiping. So much pride happening in that church. I don't know if I want to go to that church. And, and the wife's like, man, honey, you, you have to go to the church because you're the pastor. Um, <laughs> New life has to become a bunch of people loving each other in Christian community, operating with the fullness of spiritual gifts that have been given to each and every one of us, but doing it in love, doing it with this sense of unity. We're, we're diverse people, I can tell, by just looking at everyone. We're so diverse. God's giving us a diverse Gifts. Not everyone's fit to be up here or, or there. Not everyone's, you know, the best prayer warrior. Not everyone's the best, you know, food server out there, parking attendant. God's given you some kind of gift, um, and he wants you to use it. He wants us all to use it to build the church, to encourage one another, to edify the church, and, and to, to do it for the glory of God. And without love, it's nothing. Everything we do is, is worthless. So I want everything that we do to matter. And so I'm just going to pray that God would make us more loving people. That we would be an example of agape love to this world who needs it. So let me pray for us.